probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me this week is... Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. Awesome. And, and Heidi's part of the, uh, the Minute Maker family as well. What, um, what are the podcasts that you, uh, that you do? Yeah. So, you know, I think of these podcasts as evergreen, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're going to be listening to them for till the end of time. But um, <laughs> the, the one I did previously was Spinal Tap Minute. So that one's wrapped and you can find that at SpinalTapMinute.com if you're interested in this is Spinal Tap. And then the one that I'll be debuting in the fall with a different partner is um, Cabin Minute Cast. And that's going to be about the cabin in the woods. Awesome. Excellent. Some excellent choices, by the way. And congrats for, for finishing your first one. That's a, that's a big, big uh, mile marker. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it is kind of fun to be able to know it's just there and I don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm beginning to understand that feeling. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, cool. So today we are talking about minute 51 of the thing which uh, begins with um, the burning of, of some of the bodies that we saw last week and uh, ends a minute later with uh, Mac taking a pensive look back at the snow. Um, now, before we dig into the minute, I figured that uh, start, just starting out this week might be a good time to kind of talk about your, your history with the movie. So do you remember the first time you saw the thing? You know, I, I don't remember exactly, you know, the date or location, but I do remember the experience. Um, I remember the feeling, the excitement, the thrills, the, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you know, that happens throughout the whole thing. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to venture to guess that the first time I saw it was with my mom and my brother and probably on a VHS I don't recall seeing it in the theater on the big screen, which now, you know, now watching it and listening to it through the headphones, I realize how awesome that would have been. But I do remember doing that. My mom and my brother and I definitely share watching, uh, enjoying suspenseful, spooky movies together. And I remember doing it with them. So, you know, probably in the 80s, probably as soon as it came out on on VHS. Awesome. I think uh, that's becoming a running theme that I think most of my guests have seen it on either on VHS or on TV at some point. I don't, I'll, I've, I think I've maybe come across maybe one person who got a chance to see it in theaters, which is mm. a- appropriate for how this movie fared. You know, it didn't do so well when it came out, but it gained a cult status over over the next you know decade or two. So that's uh, that's actually pretty it works pretty well <laughs> that it's telling that everybody came to it that way. Yeah, I think well, that's one of the things I'm enjoying about revisiting so many of these classic movies, especially a lot of them that that a lot of us movie by minuters have chosen are from the eighties or the, you know, late seventies. And when um 
Alien Minute started, I realized, oh, yeah, like when Alien came out, the first time I experienced it was when my mom came home from seeing it. And she actually sat at the kitchen counter and and re told the entire movie from beginning to end. And my brother and I were just riveted as she, you know, (laughs) told all the parts of the movie and um, watching this and knowing that I watched it with her at first reminded me kind of the similarities in tone of this one and, and the original alien. Yeah, most definitely. Those the two movies can, they can't really be separated in a lot of ways. And it's funny because I had a similar experience in that that one was, that was another one that I saw right around the time I was getting into horror movies and um, in the same kind of context that I saw this movie. So they, they always kind of blend together in my head too. But yeah, I've, I've actually just started listening to Alien Minute recently, and those those guys do an excellent job. It's been uh, it's, it's been fun listening to that while doing this podcast because I'm definitely seeing some of those similarities firsthand a little bit. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So let's uh, let's dive into the minute a little bit. So so we begin with kind of finishing off that last scene from last week where the bodies of uh, the the double face thing and the dogs and uh, and presumably the body of the long lost Bennings who is uh, just had his pretty dramatic transformation uh, last week as well are all being burned. And we get this really nice dramatic shot, this uh, tilt upwards looking very close up at the, at the flames and then moving up into this like incredibly dark black sky with just the smoke rising. And it's, it's a nice, very kind of contemplative, you know, inky dark eerie moment. I think I like, I never really noticed that shot before, but I really liked it watching it this time through. Yeah, I agree. It was interesting. I think I shared with you off mic that I started by watching this minute and then quickly realized how imperative it was. I go back and watch all the others because starting right here at this beautiful fire, I was like, where am I? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but it was really interesting and pretty to watch, but it definitely uh, left me going. I can't tell where in the movie we are. And it's interesting, too, because then going back through, I realized, wow, we're almost at the one hour mark. Mm-hmm. And um, half of these characters, I don't know their names. And then the other half really get their names said over and over again, especially Blair and um, Childs. And um, I think the other guy that I keep in my head calling Shades, but I guess his name's Windows. He's <laughs> got those dark glasses on the whole time. But and I, what I was going to ask you was, mm-hmm. di- didn't we just in the previous minute or two, um, when, when um, McCready's reading or whoever it is that's reading out loud, what Blair may have, I don't know, transcribed or mm-hmm. figured out? is that fire doesn't destroy or something to the effect of how, how I think potent this situation is. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That is, that was just a couple minutes before this, that was right before uh, Bennings gets assimilated. And yeah, it is interesting that you bring that up because you know, the, the main kind of point of that whole conversation was that the, the bodies that they were storing at the, um, in the camp were still alive or still had some kind of cellular movement. And, um, and at least one of those had already been burned. The double face one, uh, that we now know took over Bennings was burned back. We didn't see it burned, but it presumably was burned at the Norwegian camp. It looked pretty burned. So, and obviously they burned the dog at least, you know, somewhat when they, when they attacked it with the flamethrower. So it is interesting. It seems like maybe there's like, different levels of incineration that they have to uh, have to get to. <laughs> I don't know. Because, <laughs> yeah, those were still alive, apparently. But, yeah, this this takes care of it. And I guess they they burn it, you know, with, with a lot of uh, 
fuel and everything like that and then you know co- cover it up and everything so maybe this is like the equivalent of burning the ashes or something <laughs> right kind of reminds me just at this moment talking about the burning of the you know the materials is um, one of my other favorite movies that I, I'm not going to claim it as a movies by minutes one but it is one that I would love to do is uh, Return of the Living Dead. Oh, yes. I've thought about There's... that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, yeah. So so if people aren't familiar, there's definitely, that plays a big role, is how do you burn it and then burn it and then burn it and mm-hmm. then get it to a point where they presume, at least at a certain point, that they've gotten rid of everything and that everything will be fine now. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, spoiler alert, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's so funny that you bring that up because I had actually thought about that movie watching this minute earlier today and I forgot to write something down. This That opening shot that we've been talking about with where we're kind of following the smoke up actually really reminded me of Return of the Living Dead because, you know, in that movie, there's a big uh, plot point where uh, burning the body of, of one of the zombies is actually kind of what causes the problem in the first place because it, it uh, you know, there's, there's, there's some pseudoscience going on there where the smoke from the fire causes, uh, causes a rain that has the, a chemical in it that brings back the dead. But uh, so, yeah, seeing this, the camera kind of follow the smoke up, it, it made me think about that and that like it almost seems like they're focusing on the smoke trying to make you wonder if, if uh, that's that's gonna something's gonna happen bad with that smoke almost you know it, right. in the context of that movie it definitely made me think about it <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so yeah so then we get after they uh do that dramatic pan up we see the the ski dozers covering up the bodies presumably um uh covering it up with snow which is i guess last week we were wondering why they had those big snow embankments and wondering why they wouldn't just melt but maybe this is why so they could just cover it up when they're done instead of having to kind of you know dig a hole and throw the throw the burnt bodies into him but mm-hmm. um i thought I'm, i was trying to figure out who was driving the ski dozer and i'm not entirely sure it's pretty hard to tell but i'm i'm guessing it's childs and later in the week as i was watching these minutes over uh getting ready for to record i um i've, I've got a new a new theory about uh some assimilation stuff that that came up and and knowing who's in the uh who's driving this the ski dozer might have have something to do with it so mm. do you uh, any any thoughts on who that might be it's kind of hard to tell it's hard to tell all i can tell is that it, i feel like i haven't done a full blown like um on, in spinal tap minute we talked a lot about you know costuming and what it what the different costumes and outfits sort of tell about the characters and in this all i can tell is that it looks like he sort of has those similarly military greenish pants on Mm -hmm. but beyond and you know that he's fairly tall but beyond that it's kind of hard to tell yeah that's that's one of the um one of the shortcomings i think of this movie and at times is that because of the fact that when these guys are outdoors, both both in the context of the movie and in real life when they were filming, obviously it's really, really cold. So they're all wearing this like heavy duty winter gear. And sometimes that makes it kind of difficult to tell who's who because they're all wearing very similar kind of outfits that, that cover most of their, all of their body and most, uh, most of their face in some cases too, which, you know, might, might be an intentional thing if, if this is a movie that's trying to uh, have you question who these characters really are. So maybe that's a little part of it. But you know, if you're watching it for the first time, it can make it kind of tricky to tell who, uh, remember who these characters are sometimes. But yeah, I think based on uh, the green pants is, is one of the things I noticed too. And 
I'm going to I'm going to put forth my theory that it's Childs and maybe later in the week that might become more more important. But I think it was Childs that was driving the uh, driving the ski dozer here. Yeah, we'll maybe see why that why why I feel like that's important later. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to as, it. As of now, it doesn't seem very important. It seems pretty pretty uh, <laughs> inconsequential. But so basically, we get Fuchs walking outside and, and passes this mysterious person who I think uh, is probably Childs and um, tells uh, tells Mac that they can't find Blair anywhere and that everybody's uh, waiting in the in the rec room. So um, Max says he wants to wait outside, which. To me, there's a couple spots in the movie where, um, where obviously there's some suspicion thrown on McCready, who's, you know, ostensibly our main character. But at a couple spots, you definitely start to question as an audience member whether McCready himself is who he says he is. And to me, although it's a pretty subtle thing, I think that maybe him him saying he wants to wait outside and we don't really know why is maybe one of the first kind of subtle things that's supposed to make you think something's a little off with him. Mm. Yeah, I was kind of wondering just if he's trying to collect his thoughts away from every, you know, the chaos of the room, mm-hmm. to kind of figure out what his next move is going to be as a non, you know, we, I mean, we don't know what, I guess we don't know at this point who is what, but also what the um, assimilation ability is, because so far, as far as we know, so far, we've only seen one person partially assimilated and he still had a bunch of alien, you know, thingamabobs flailing <laughs> around on him. So we knew who, you know, that he was. And then, and then his, his hands <laughs> revealed the, the creepy, you know, thing hand arms that sort of <laughs> reached up and all that. So we haven't seen if this creature can fully, assimilate and look like something else right i mean we've only seen it as far as we know right right as audience members seen it partially transformed yeah yeah and that's that's kind of what that scene we talked about this a lot last week that that the whole scene with bennings really it was added really late in the game in production for exactly that reason to show you someone who like a visual transition point between you know man and monster um uh, because it is such a, a complicated thing to have to portray just without without showing anything like that in that, you know, the, the, the monster, the villain of the movie, in most cases, really is just another person that isn't who they say they are. Um, you know, they're hiding a monster underneath. And uh, so, yeah, that really does kind of give you a transition point. But up to this point, we don't really we don't really know if it's taken care of. And, you know, they're watching this fire. So for the second time in this movie, they kind of probably most of them probably feel like they've defeated the the villain that they've taken care of the alien and you know they it, it was funny we talked about it in the minute prior to this you know max is like is that everything and, and copper's like yes we got everything from the storeroom medical room everything this is every last bit of it and then two seconds after that gary's <laughs> like where's blair <laughs> <laughs> so it, which is like the exact equivalent of every horror movie saying like uh the nightmare is finally over you know <laughs> Uh, it was just kind of kind of funny when you look at it from that context. But this minute continues that where Fuchs is, uh, you know, uh, always the worrier and um, wondering and says he they can't they still can't find Blair. So it's it's another hint that, you know, this is not this is not over yet. And I guess I think you're right that this is just kind of a pensive moment for McCready. And we get a lot of those um, kind of, you know, staggered throughout in between the like kind of insane segments of the movie uh, with the transformations and things like that. We get these kind of quieter moments where 
it's it's interesting, and I think it's a testament to Carpenter's restraint that we get a lot of these moments like this where it's really just the character kind of thinking things through silently, which really allows the viewer to do the same instead of just kind of, you know, hitting you over the head with what's going on with with them, you know, um, in in the sense of like the uh, the old original cut of Blade Runner with the VO that tells you exactly what's, what's happening at all times. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think sometimes I forget why there are certain movies, you know, what it is about them that I love. And then I go back to them and certainly watching them minute by minute, you start to yeah feel what it is about the atmosphere, the storytelling and the, the quiet moments. And, um, and some things now that we see that even when they're really wonderful and they go by so quickly, uh, watching something on television, that's really dense, you know, sitting at home, watching it, whether it's a movie or, uh, you know, some exciting series. Sometimes I just pause it, you know, pause the show and go, okay, now what just happened? You know, and just kind of like <laughs> talk it out for a little bit because there's so much going on and, and a lot of more quick cuts and things. And here you really, you do feel like you're sort of immersed with the guys and experiencing it along along with them. So it is nice when you get a little break. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a it can be an issue with modern um, movies and TV. They definitely kind of cram as much in as they can without leaving a lot of room to breathe. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a pacing thing, but it's also, you know, it adds to the atmosphere and just, and ex- does exactly that. It just gives you a moment to think about what's, what's actually going on so that you don't have to pause it and, <laughs> and have a conversation about it in the middle of the movie. Yeah. And I think this movie does that really, really well. There's a lot of moments like this that I didn't really, you know, notice consciously just watching the movie through, but definitely, you know, dissecting it in this way, you definitely notice those kind of things, which is kind of cool. Well, I think that's that's more or less all I had for, for this minute. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention? I think just the other thing was just um, because, you know, I've I've started I've been listening to your podcast. But at this, you know, at this recording, you don't have too many minutes mm-hmm. out or episodes out. So I don't know what it is. All y'all have talked about certain things. But I just noticed with the, the Gary character mm-hmm. that he seemed very clueless and i wonder if you guys had talked about that like how he just seems like now wait a minute what's going on i don't understand this this guy was my friend and you know he seems sort of more dense than the other guys and i just wondered if that had come up in conversation yeah a little bit um it is it's very interesting that he's you know he's obviously supposed to be the one in charge he's the station manager and at the very beginning of the movie the first time we see him he's he really kind of gives off this at the very, very first time we see him, he gives off this kind of badass persona that he's the one who breaks the window and, and shoots off, shoots the uh, Norwegian right. like a, you know, like some kind of cowboy hero. But then, uh, yeah, almost immediately after that, even just the way he walks out on the snow is very like kind of timid. And, um, you know, the way he approaches everything in this movie is very kind of um, subdued. And yeah, he's definitely uh, clueless is not not the first word I, I've thought of, but I can definitely see that, especially <laughs> around this part of the movie. He definitely gives off that. Um, but yeah, he's definitely kind of um, I don't know. He's not the he's not the fearless leader. And I guess that I don't know exactly why that choice was made. It, it puts McCready in a position as the, you know, just a helicopter pilot to kind of take charge. But I'm not sure why they make him this kind of like, I don't know. He's such an he's a Gary's a really odd character. He's one I can't really put my finger on, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Like, he sort of looks like the authority figure, mm-hmm. the the strong type, but just seemed interesting. So, yeah, I'll just keep 
keep watching because I can't really remember. You know, there's certain iconic moments, visual moments I remember from this, but I don't really recall a lot of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of these minutes and the rest of the movie. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I was, I was going to add that uh, Gary is kind of the emotional one of the bunch, I guess, is maybe part of that too. Maybe that's kind of his role among the among the characters is, is to be kind of the emotional center because McCready is pretty cold and, and you know, aggressive. But uh, Gary is the one who's actually affected by what's happening around them. He's, you know, maybe kind of the, the human side of that at times. So that's, uh, you know, that, that kind of works. I think he, he uh, you know, fills that gap pretty well at times, especially just a few minutes before this that you mentioned when he's, uh, he's worried about, you know, how can we just kill Bennings? I knew him for 10 years. And it's like, well, you know, he obviously wasn't one of the Bennings. <laughs> but, <laughs> Did you guys mention also the how bo- invasion of the body snatchers E Bennings was when he kind of opened his mouth and let out a very creepy sound? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't remember if we brought specifically invasion of the body snatchers up. We talked a lot about just how kind of, alien and, and eerie that whole moment is that's one of my favorite moments of the movie for sure and, and certainly one of the most iconic uh from the movie but yeah is that i haven't seen it, uh any of the invasion of the body snatchers movies in a really long time is that is that something that happens in those movies that kind of a, a creepy scream or something i think at the the um, the end of the one that was this is gonna sometimes i don't recall details exactly but the one that was put out in the 70s yeah the very end of that, I believe that that is the one where that's sort of a iconic, you know, something you'll see come up in maybe The Simpsons or other, play, you know, parodied mm-hmm. here and there is this one a, a person who's been snatched and they point towards the people who haven't been snatched yet and let out this ungodly oh, yeah. sound. And it's really... Um, yeah, I'm kind of drawing a blank on even who the actor is and you know all that, but I just remember it being something that is sort of the the memorable shot. Yeah, from yeah, that, I do think version. I remember that. Yeah, and that's a I need to probably revisit uh, at least that that one, the uh, '70s one that came out just before this movie, because that they definitely kind of share some DNA. I'm sure, um, you know, given the the subject matter, I'll, I'll bet there's some uh, some parallels to be drawn there. Yeah, I think it's uh, what's his name Sutherland. I can't yeah, think of his... uh, Donald Sutherland. Donald Donald Sutherland. Yeah, I just saw Kiefer Sutherland on something, so his his name was coming up. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, Donald Sutherland. I think it's his character. Yeah, I'm gonna have to realize but, that. Yeah, but um, that's that was all. I just kind of yeah wanted to talk about the couple things I noticed earlier in the the movie. That was yeah, it. yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I think that'll probably wrap us up for Minute 51. In the meantime, uh, listeners, you can always go to thethingminute.com for full show notes on every episode, including links to anything we talked about. And, um, you know, if I can find any, I'll usually put some behind-the-scenes pictures and anything like that that I can get my hands on. Um, So definitely some cool stuff to check out there and join in the conversation on the site and everything like that. And, And don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. 
Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.